So back in the 1800s, there was a young Scottish man who was really devoted to his church, and he was, all, he was there, he was helping in the work of the church, he actually he even helped start a school his church was starting. But one Sunday, he heard from his pastors, his elders, that they supported a missionary down in the South Seas, and that this lone missionary had been there for a while, and he felt a, a call to go there. And so after talking to his church, his church sent him and his young wife down to the South Seas. If you want to know where that island chain is, basically draw a line from Sydney to Hawaii. And right there is this small little island chain that they were sending missionaries to. And this island chain was actually famous because the natives there were cannibals. And actually a lot of missionaries who had been there had died because this island chain, the natives were not accepting of new people coming onto the islands. And so him and his new wife, sent by the church, were headed there, even though people warning him, don't go. And they even warned him, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And yet they felt this need to go. And so sent by the church, John Patton and his wife journeyed to these islands. And they sought to plant a, a missionary station on one of these islands. And John Patton would endure suffering at the hands of the natives as they ran him off several times. His wife and their new baby would pass away. And he, even, he fled for his life many times back to another island, to another missionary station. But he never gave up. And he gave his life for this island chain, these people, these natives there, so that they would hear the gospel. That he would not give up, even though this island chain took so much from him, these people took so much from him, he felt called and he was sent to bring the gospel to them, and so he did not give up. Why would a man, anyone but this man, why would this man or, or husband and wife do such a thing, travel across the globe to and that changed their lives? They knew that actually Jesus sends Christians, that Christians are sent out to declare the gospel, to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and how he saves people. They knew that, and so they went because they knew Christians were sent. That Christians are sent out into a, a dark world that does not know hope, that does not know salvation, to declare who Jesus is, the one who is hope, the one who is light, the one who is life for humanity who needs him. And so they went. If you just read the Gospels, you see this again and again, that Jesus sends. Jesus sent out the 12, his 12 disciples. Then he sent out the bigger group of, of disciples, the 72. He would send them out with words like, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. If you think about the last words recorded by Jesus and Matthew is the Great Commission when he says, but, he says, but go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If you think about the last words that are recorded of Jesus in the book of Acts that we've already looked at, in Acts 1 when he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Christians are witnesses our lives to be witnesses about who Christ is and so we proclaim that Christ that we know, this God that we know. And when we come to Acts at the end of 21 and into chapter 22, we see Paul doing just that. That he's a witness to who Christ is. He's a witness to what Christ has done in his life and he proclaims him to people who need to hear him. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts 21, and we'll start 
in verse 37. As I said, we've been going through the book of Acts, and so last week, leading up to this, just set the scene, Paul had arrived back in Jerusalem, and he was going to the temple, and the Jews in the temple stirred up trouble until they were actually causing a riot, and they had beaten Paul, and so much so that this Roman centurion, this uh, tribune of, of Roman, brought soldiers out and grabbed Paul and pulled him out of this mob that was beating him and arrested him. And we see why he has arrested him right here, but we're going to start pick up the story in verse 37. So this is after Paul has been arrested, and he's now being taken up into the barracks. And this says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I speak something to you? May I say something to you? He said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the Sessions out into the wilderness? Paul replied, no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And that when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I, pers- I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as a high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to uh, take those who were, being, who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone on me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of all by, of all by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of, you, of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised a voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by and heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are, we, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, 
are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. And the tribune answered, I, brought, I bought this citizen for a large sum. And Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tri- tribune was also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. So what are we supposed to take from this passage? What's going on in this passage? We say, we look at this, this passage of Acts 21 through 22, and we see Paul is actually telling his story. Paul is relaying to the people who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. And we actually see Paul's story recorded for us three times in the book of Acts. We saw it back in, in Acts 9 through Luke's words as he's recording what happened to Paul. And now here we see Paul telling us in his own words what happened to him when he encountered, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so what was Paul doing? We see him stand up before these people, the people who had just beat him, and he's now going to declare to them why he was back in Jerusalem. Why was he willing to undergo beatings now to speak this truth? Because he starts talking to them about who he is. And it's interesting how he starts talking to them about who he is. He's, he's seen his pedigree, who he is. He says, hey, brothers, fathers, I'm just like you. I am a Jew like you. And in fact, I am uh, like the Jew of Jews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied under one of your head honchos, and I even persecuted and was with zeal for God so much like you guys who would drag some guys and beat him because you're thinking they're profaning God. And that, he, that, that the chief priest and the council even gave me letters to do this. And so I was going to go up to Damascus, he says, and I was going to preach to um, I was going to actually persecute the way, the, the people who followed Jesus. But something happened. Jesus showed up. And when Jesus shows up, the world doesn't stay the same. And Paul was changed. He was blinded by the light from heaven, and for the first time he actually can see clearly. He was knocked back on his butt, and for the first time now he was standing on something solid, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ that he was encountered Jesus, and he was changed. But God then just changed him through showing him who Jesus was. God actually changes him by sending him now to the Gentiles. Paul says, hey, I went back to Jerusalem, and I was in a trance, and he shows up again and says, you're going to the Gentiles. And so Paul is relaying this to all these Jews, this crowd who's watching him. And at this, the crowd erupts erupts and say, away with the man. They start in the barracks and they're about to question him because they're confused. Why would these people hate this man so much? And apparently, apparently the Romans like to question people by whipping them and then seeing what they're going to say. And so they're about to do that when Paul says, hey, I, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, by the way. You can't do this to me. And so they withdraw and they're waiting and trying to figure out what they're going to do. And so what do we learn from Paul sharing his story and the stuff that's going around this time? We learn this. We proclaim the God who sins. That's the truth we see here, is that we proclaim the God who sins. This is what Paul is doing when he stands before the crowd. He's proclaiming the God who sent him. And it's what Christians do. We go out into this world and we're sent by God to proclaim the God who sends us and sends our brothers and sisters out to show and proclaim and declare and to share whatever word you want to use 
who God is, who Jesus is. We proclaim the God who sins. And we do that by going out and sharing how God has interacted with us. We share the truth of his word and how true God is and the truth of the gospel, how Jesus came in to save us. But we also share how he has interacted with our lives and changed who we are. We, we proclaim the God who sins. And we see Paul doing that as he's sharing his testimony, if you will, his sharing. The thing we can see is, we kind of see a strategy that Paul does when he stands up and he starts talking to this crowd. He starts by building bridges. He actually starts by saying, hey guys, listen to me because I am one of you. He's establishing his credentials so that they would believe him. He's establishing a, a bridge so that they would relate to him. And he's basically saying, guys, I came from where you are. I believed what you believed. I was one of you, and I walked in your ways, and now I have to tell you something, tell you something that's going to change or should change how you see the world, how you see God. And he's telling them, I was one of your best, and so we should look, look at what, what I'm saying and how we share this deep theological and cultural background that connects us. And then what he shares is actually asserting that what he believes now and what he's proclaiming to the Gentiles is not some change from the Jewish faith. It's not some deviation or a walk away from what he, what he believed in the past, but what he's declaring now is the continuation or the fulfillment or the culmination of his ancestral faith. He's standing before them and he says, God, the God you worship, sent me to declare to the Gentiles this truth of who Jesus was. That he's showing that he's standing in alignment with his great history of faith, the faith they believe, highlighting this, emphasizing this fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah that the whole Jewish population was waiting for and expecting. And he's highlighting this and he says, this one, the righteous one, the righteous one you are waiting for, the righteous one that's promised, the righteous one that's prophesied, this one, Jesus, you should know him and recognize him and that you should honor him for who he is. He's tying his faith in Christ back to what they believe and showing how this is a continuation, the fulfillment of what they believe. Paul's strategy is to build a bridge and show them the logical uh, conclusion of who Jesus is, that they should honor him, recognize him, worship him as the Lord. When we see Paul's strategy, I think we can learn from it for ourselves on how we're sent. That first it impacts how we think and how we operate and think about who God is, and it impacts us because it reinforces or actually should reinforce our appreciation for the long history of how God has worked in this world. It reinforces our appreciation for God's redemptive story that starts all the way back in Genesis 3. When God interacts with Adam and Eve after they rebel and he interacts and gives them the promise that there will, become, there will come one redemptive history, what this means is that we can actually look back and we appreciate the Old Testament because it shows us how God has moved and operated throughout time and we appreciate and grow in our understanding of who he is. And we appreciate the Old Testament even though it sometimes seems divorced from us or separated from us by time or culture we appreciate because it shows the nature of who God is. It reveals his love and how he's working through history and showing us his redemption plan. And we appreciate that and we can grow 
from that. But some people can err with this because they look at the Old Testament, they can get kind of confused, they think it might be separate from who they are, and it's, it's sad, but you can understand how people can operate this way. And that's been like that since Christianity has kind of existed, that people have struggled with this understanding. How, how do we, Gentiles who are not Jewish, relate to this book that's all about these Jewish people? And even in the first century, there was, there was people who were coming up, there was a heresy of Marconiism that said, hey, we should just throw the Old Testament away, and that's a different God, and all we need is segments of the New Testament, and, and we can follow that. But we shouldn't mock people in the first century, because there's even people today who talk about how we should unhitch the, the gospel from the Old Testament, we just need Jesus, and that's, that's a kind of a truncated God. Faith is the continuation or the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. We should appreciate and understand that our faith is rich, has a rich history throughout ages, it's showing this God and how he's worked throughout time. But furthermore, when we see Paul and his strategy, it changes or influences, I should say, our actions. How do we speak to someone about who Christ is? Well, Paul shows us a, a kind of a template or a model that we start by building bridges. We start by actually relating it to them. And actually, the wonderful fact about us is that we're all human as far as I know. We're all human. And as humans, we can naturally relate to almost any other person we come across because guess what? They are human as well. And we all suffer from the same thing is that we're estranged without Christ. We're estranged from our God. And there's only one way back, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we have a natural bridge because we all struggle with the same things to various degrees, yes, but all struggle with the same things, the same hardships through this life. And so we have the ability to relate to anyone we come across and build bridges with them so that we can now share who Christ is, who is the hope of our world. We proclaim the God who sins. And we do that just like Paul, because Paul, the gospel going to the Gentiles was God's plan. He says, it wasn't my idea, guys. He's standing before all these Jewish people and says, it wasn't my idea. God showed up. Jesus showed up, and I was changed. He knocked me off of my feet on the road to Damascus, and then he appeared to me when I was in Jerusalem in the temple. He sent me on this mission. This is God's plan. God revealed himself, and that changed me. And again, I think that is showing a continuation with his ancestral faith, because we worship, the Jewish people worship, we worship a God who reveals himself. If God does not reveal himself, we would not know God. God, If we, God does not reveal himself, all we would be left with is the knowledge we can see around us. When we look around, as Romans 1, 1 says, look around and we can see the, basically the fingerprints of God in all creation. And we know there's someone with power. We know there's someone bigger than us who made this. But God does not just leave us there. He reveals himself. That's what he's always done. When you open up the pages of the Bible, what do you see page after page? God showing himself to his people. He shows up and reveals himself to Abraham and to patriarchs in the Bible. He shows himself to Moses on the mount. He shows himself to God to us through Jesus Christ, his son, in whom we see the full nature of who God is. The 
we see this again and again throughout the New Testament, how Jesus is that culmination of God's revelation. We see that in Colossians when it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. In Him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The writer of Hebrews, starting off his letter, was the first thing he says. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then a little later, he says, he is the radiance of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That Paul is saying, this God who reveals himself finally fully reveals himself so that we can know him and love him and worship appropriately in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if we know Jesus, we know God. And so Paul's conviction is that Jesus is God. Jesus is representing God. Jesus is the full revelation of God. And so when he sees that and he understands that, he is changed. That's the only thing that actually can change a Pharisee, someone who's going to go out and jail Christians and persecute them, who stood by and watched a godly man be stoned to death. What could He saw Jesus. That it wasn't his plan. It wasn't his idea to be changed. But God showed up. And so everything changed for Paul. And so this is Paul's conviction that Jesus is the full revelation of God, that Jesus sends him now as God just to the ends of the earth to preach and proclaim who he is. And when we read that, we see that conviction should be true for us as well. First, in our minds and theologically when we think about God, we, we believe the truth that we believe in the God who speaks, who reveals himself. Fundamentally, we believe that God reveals himself through the word, his word, the Bible. He reveals himself through Jesus Christ, who we know through the word. And so when we read this, when we operate in under, under uh, listening to this and reading this, we know we're listening to the God who speaks to us. This also means, because Jesus is what changed Paul, this also means that we believe that Seeing Jesus through the word is what changes people. We don't change people. We're not sent out to be salesmen who are trying to get someone to sign on the bottom line and join some kind of movement just because we're winsome and we're smart and they want to be part of something. No, we don't change people. God changes. We take Jesus and we show them Jesus. And we say, look at him and know him and interact with him. See him for who he is. And we let Jesus change people. We let the word working in their hearts and minds change people. And so we're called to declare who God is. We're called to proclaim the God who sins. And so we seek to show them who Jesus is through the word and through our lives and our conversations. But this also impacts how we live as well. If we, if we believe like Paul that it's God who changes people for encountering Jesus it impacts us because it brings a true sense of humility to all of us. It reminds us that we didn't do this ourselves. We didn't make ourselves believers. We did not somehow make ourselves change or change ourselves from the inside out. We did not will ourselves to be followers of Christ, but actually Christ changed us. And once we're changed now, we start to respond from this new life he has given us. Us. 
And so it changes, it gives us true humility, and we can actually look at people who don't know Christ, look at people who are wayward and walking away from him, and we have sympathy and we can relate to them, and we're urged to share who Jesus is with them all the more because we know we were just like this uh, Puritan John Bradford, apparently, he saw some condemned criminals being led to the gallows, and he proclaimed, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. That actually has now become a saying in our, our English language, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Have you guys ever heard that? Is it just me? Maybe it's just me? Anyways, it's a great saying because it expresses that humility, Right? that we can look at people who are just one or two decisions away from where we are now, and we can look at them and have sympathy and love and compassion for them, and we can say, there am I, but for the grace of God. And so it moves us to share that grace and have them experience that grace and know who God is, and it motivates us to reach out so that they could respond to who Jesus is. We proclaim the God who sends. But when you read Acts 21 and Acts 22, we see this account and we see the model of Paul and it's all great stuff that maybe encourages and helps pushes us to be proclaiming who God is, but we also see a great warning in it as well. For when we see this account, we see these Jewish people and how they respond to what Paul says. I think this is a great warning to us. Let's go back to the text and what do we hush down? We want to hear what he's going to say. And then he speaks to them in their language, the Hebrew language, probably Aramaic, the Hebrew dialect. He's speaking to them and they quiet all the more, it says, because like, hey, this guy's one of us and we want to listen. And then he gives a long and detailed account about how he came to know who Jesus Christ is. And they were quiet and they listened to him. And then he said, God sent me to the Gentiles, and what happens? The uproar! Away with this man, they're throwing dust, and they're ripping off their cloaks, and they're like, we can't listen to this guy, he needs to be taken away and imprisoned, if not killed. Why would they do that? Because in their understanding, what he had just said was blasphemy. How dare you say God would take your message and reveal himself to people who were not Jewish. How dare you? In their minds, it did not make sense. In their minds, they were operating under this very nationalistic pride that they are God's chosen people. And so how dare Paul think he's going to take that message of hope and salvation to someone else besides them? And what we see, this is a very ugly thing, that they had this really kind of racist attitude about people who were not Jewish. They don't deserve God. They don't deserve to hear about how God saved them. And so they don't want to even hear about how Paul is preaching the truth to these Gentiles. And we see this as ugly, and it's, it's something we can easily decry, this racism, this, this national kind of pride, this, this ethnocentrism that we see here. But underneath it, I think, is something that's even uglier, something that I think we all have to watch out for. And that is, underneath this, is this idea that they thought they could be the gatekeepers to God. Underneath this nationalistic pride, underneath this, this focus on being Jewish and only Jewish, they actually thought they had the right to determine who could know God. 
And that's even uglier than anything else that they do. Because they actually thought they could control who was saved or not. And I think this is a warning for us, because if you've ever been in that place when you've looked at someone and you thought, maybe I should share who Jesus is, but then hesitated because, oh, I don't know if they'll receive it well. Or maybe you thought, oh, maybe they're too far gone for Jesus, or, or they're too unlike me, or they won't listen, or, or ever thought maybe, they, maybe I, it's not my place to share who Christ is with them. We're kind of operating on that same place. We're being as gatekeepers, judging people to know Jesus or get a chance to hear about who Jesus is. And so this is a warning that we don't get to decide who hears about Christ, that God reveals himself to who he will, and that God has called us to go to the ends of the earth to reveal who he is to everyone. And God gets to make the decision. So that when someone walks into this church, we should never operate from that understanding of judging them, saying, oh, you're welcome here or you're not welcome here. Who are we to say if they're welcome here or not? This is God's place where they can interact with him and hear the gospel. And so the truth is that God decides who gets to hear who he is, and he decides everyone who has ears should hear about who Christ is. And so we proclaim who he is everyone who would listen. That we are given a job, we're not the gatekeepers of God, but we're the heralds of God. We are sent out by him to proclaim who he is, to preach the good news, to love people well, to serve them so that they can see him and come in and know him. We proclaim the God who sins. Which means you are sent. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know who Jesus Christ is, you are sent. That we need to know how to speak and how to think of verses like 1 Peter 3.15 which says, in your, heart, in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That we need to be prepared and ready to give an answer to people about why we believe what we believe. We need to be prepared to give an answer to people about why we should be operating different in this world because we follow Christ. That we need to be prepared to proclaim who Jesus is. Which means we need to know Jesus. We know the gospel. We need to know the truth. That we need to know the truth that humanity made in the image of God rebelled against who God was, a good, righteous creator. We went our own way. We spit in his eyes. We thought we could do it better than him. And so we set up our own kingdoms and we wanted to be our own gods. But God, right there is the gospel, but God loves sinful humanity enough to send his son to live for us the righteous life we could not live to die for us the death that we all deserve as sinners and to rise for us to give us that new life that we await for and is working on us right now god loves us so much that he gives us this good news of jesus christ and it's called good news because we declare what has been done he has accomplished it we know that gospel to proclaim who christ is. And then you need to know, just like Paul knew, your testimony, your story, that unique part of how God worked in you, because that connects to people, and God uses those stories to build those bridges, and people can see the truth of who he is through how he has changed you. So we need to be prepared, knowing that gospel and knowing 
your story because you are sent. As Christians, God has sent you. He sent you. He's been seeing people throughout all his time, but he sends you. He sent you into your family that you were born into. He sent you into your place of business. He has sent you into the city where, you're born, where, where you work and live. He has sent you. Wherever you find yourself, you have been sent by God to be there for him to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are sent to be that good worker that is just a that speaks truth into people's life. You are sent to be that good boss who deals well with his employees so that you can speak truth of who Jesus is. You are sent to be that good husband or that good, or that good wife or that good child or that good parent so that you can lead people and show people and proclaim to people who Christ you also be saved and have life in Christ and be with their creator forever. That we are sent. We proclaim the God who sins. So let's go and do that to everyone who has ears. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are.